the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 261. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Blair Walker. And I'm Kevin Park. Welcome along, gentlemen. Great to have you both on the show. Uh, You're both new, both the first time on the New Zealand Tech Podcast, so thanks for uh, making yourselves available. Blair, let's start with you. Can you fill us in a little bit where you fit into the broader technology community in in New Zealand? I've known you for for a few years, but most of our listeners may not know where you fit in. I work for FCB New Zealand, an advertising agency. My role there is head of post-production, which is motion design, editing. Uh, We do a lot of filming and uh, 3D animation, visual effects, so the full gamut of uh, video content. So a lot of my focus is around the tools that we use to create that. Uh, Yeah, you're a pretty big technology uh, users there at FCB and especially on the video side, right? Definitely, yeah. Yep. And the other co- the other connection, which is where uh, probably where I first came across you, um, is a community that you run. Tell us about that. I run Adobe Group on Facebook. Adobe set up a number of groups across Australasia about a year ago now, and um, the four groups have been doing extremely well. I I took hold of the New Zealand group and an opportunity to bring community together. A lot of these people are editors and motion designers and cinematographers, and a lot of the guys and girls are in, in rooms locked away all day. It's an opportunity to actually get together and socialise in the real world. Um, has been a great opportunity to meet like-minded people, and uh, we've actually had opportunities to collaborate and produce work together, so it's been an amazing yeah, opportunity. that's really cool. So the Facebook's a small part of it. There's a, a huge amount that goes on. Uh, you know, face-to-face and in person. I went to one of those meetups a month or two back, and, yeah, it was really, really cool. So um, no, good stuff there. And, Kevin, where do you fit in these days? I f- I'm trying to think where I first came across huh. you. Was it the Ice House or was it before that? Yeah, probably on Twittersphere first. But, yeah, yeah you know, we're at the Ice House as well. And and now I'm at um, Vodafone and looking after the new initiative called Vodafone Zone. Um, so it's uh, it's in the startup and innovation space. So uh, we'll be supporting um, and investing in startups and helping them to uh, scale their business uh, locally and and hopefully uh, globally through the Vodafone uh, global presence. Cool, um, cool. And, well, yeah, we'll, we won't some. get you too carried away on that because we'll come back to that a little bit later. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Teasing, teasing. Um, so yeah, so definitely keen on that. And anything else you want to sort of share about your your tech um, background? Yeah, so um, you know, always been a been a guy on the computer. You know, started with a three eight six. It was, and and then from there had um, you know twenty computers set up for land parties at home, and, and had a lot of fun. And um, so. Um, Dad was an IT engineer and looked after some of the university's networks, and so always busy playing games. But I never asked myself, "How do you code this?" So that's probably one of the biggest biggest regrets in my life, actually. But now I hang out with everyone who knows how to, so I'm I'm, I'm okay with that. So you can sort of cheat, leave it to other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, let let's get in. Uh, first up, Martin. Uh, the the guys from Martin Jetpack uh, down there in Christchurch. They seem to be moving along with their global expansion and they've just done a big uh, big demo in China uh, of which you can find online I had a, had a bit of a watch of the uh, uh, YouTube demo but it looks as though um, this Martin Jetpack thing is uh, is the real deal what do you what do you think of this Blair looks pretty exciting I um I like that the test was done over water a big safety feature there <laughs> But um, I was impressed with the height it was getting, and um, yeah, it looked very smooth. Uh, I think he even goes hands-free at one point, which yeah, is Yeah, he throws his hands up in the air. And, I mean, it is interesting because, you know, the concept of jetpack that we've always thought of, you know, in a traditional sense, would be something that requires somebody to be wearing the jetpack to be able to fly it. But, of course, um, the Martin Aircraft Company that are, that are making it, uh, offering it, not only as something that you can fly yourself, but also, you know, operate in a in a drone type manner, right? Where it's all uh, all controlled uh, technologically, you know, remotely, basically. 
Yeah, I mean, that removes a whole other layer of, you know, putting someone, uh, the pilot, uh, in, in a risky position, right? You know, if you could automate that. And I think the Chinese are really interested in it as a, you know, first response kind of unit, which, of course, means that, you know, they can sell the jetpacks for a lot of money because now lives are involved. Um, but, you know, in that process, um, they could control it from anywhere. So I think I think they go hand in hand. Um, you know, you can't help but feel when you're watching the video, you're like, oh, is this going to be all right? Is this going yeah. to not blow up and, like, you know, put us uh, to shame? <laughs> you know, I, I, I get nervous when, you know, you're strapping something as large as that on your on your back. But, um, but you know, it's, it's every boy's dream, isn't it? It's yeah, it's very cool, and I love the um, the concept they're talking about that the work that they're doing in China, where you know different uh, firms are going to be buying the aircraft for um, uh, for first response, uh, commercial and and personal use, and their group uh, for this concept they're calling it the Iron Man Club. Um, it doesn't look quite as cool as um, as a, as the suit that Iron Man wears, uh, but maybe they painted up the right colours and so on. Uh, it'll mm. have an Iron Man esque feel to it, and certainly just being able to jump in that thing and shoot straight up in the air, I guess, can make you feel a bit uh, Iron Man like. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what's really interesting is that Chinese um, have been having a real issue with um, not being able to get you know their hands on helicopters because of a massive shortage in and pilots essentially and and so you know this is a this is another way of getting their hands on air travel i think they just opened up uh the airspace for personal or private use or other and you know all these uh rich middle class are now trying to um, yeah race uh, into the airspace so this is another option for them so yeah pretty good timing i think yeah, we've got another story we'll chat about later uh, that if you were to cross it over with this, it sort of relates to security. Um, there could be some concerns if they haven't got their security right for the uh, remote control of these things, mm-hmm. but that, that's another story. Um, now, also today, Apple announced the um, Apple Smart Battery Case for the iPhone. Now, this is just a small, tiny mm-hmm. accessory, but I kind of had to mention it because it... Oh, I don't know. There's there's just something about you know, Apple selling their phones, which are good phones, but they're they're slim. And if you certainly look at the iPhone uh, six or the six S, you've got a really slim phone. And I think they're just a little bit too slim because the battery life on certain occasions isn't enough. Uh, a lot of times it is. To be fair, most days it's absolutely fine for me. But on those days. Uh, where I'm travelling and just need to use it a lot, which has been most of the last week for me. Um, the battery life on it's been really, really frustrating. Uh, so this concept of a, a smart battery case, which of course there are a number of manufacturers that have made these things in the past, for Apple to come out with that, and I'm just looking at the photos online, but it, it looks ugly with this big bulgy battery just sort of sticking out. It's not doesn't look as though it's sort of been aesthetically designed what do you what do you guys think what's your pick kevin because you were using an iphone right yeah yeah no you know now i'm using galaxy at the moment but um you know i I always go for the you know the latest stuff i want to try it out and when i when i buy it i don't want to put a case on it you know it's it's now all about you know the design and you you stick a big fat silicon thing around it and you 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 find it hard to put it in and out of your pocket and it doesn't look that nice so i I would rather crack the screen at this case. Um, in this case, um, and uh, funnily enough, I said that to my wife who was using an iPhone. I said, "Don't put a case on it. You know, just put a glass protector on." And the other day, she did crack the case, so I did have to eat my words in that scenario. But, <laughs> but you know, maybe that's her Christmas gift. <laughs> <laughs> Blair, what what phone do you use? I've got a an older model iPhone, but um, very much a, an Apple fan. Um, I think. Apple have always identified as quite a fashionable accessory for a lot of people, and um, I think that this might turn off a few of those type of buyers. But um, having the option of extra battery when you do need that as a backup is um, definitely something that heavy users will be looking for. Yeah, there's that option sort of aspect to it. And, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. Uh, I went to Wellington and I just threw a few things in a bag and headed down to Wellington for you know, a couple of days. And, of course, the one thing I forgot was my portable phone charger, 
which mm. was was rather inconvenient. And you've got the same potential here with a case like this as, you know, you could leave it behind. Um, but it does look as though the approach they've taken to it is really good. Uh, so you can plug your normal uh, lightning charger into the bottom of the case. Mm. Its priority is on charging the phone rather than the case. I mean, it, technically, it looks as though it's been implemented really well. It's a, it's a really good concept. But it does look weird, this sort of big fat bulge out the back uh, where the battery sits. But doubling your battery life on those, you know, those uh, situations where you need the extra is pretty handy too. So I don't know. Um, I sort of hate it, but I can just from that the, the aesthetic perspective and the fact that I think the iPhone battery could be a bit bigger, but practically actually quite useful. Um, all right, jumping along. Um, now, Kevin, with that uh, big red hat that you wear, the Vodafone uh, one, um, I don't know if you're going to have too many comments on uh, uh, on this one, but um, Skinny, they've just launched something that is quite unique in the home broadband market, which is uh, using, and of course, Skinny being part of uh, of Spark. Uh, they're offering a home broadband service uh, that just u- that uses their mobile, the Spark mobile network, their 4G LTE network. Um, Blair, this is kind of curious. For fifty five dollars a month, which is a pretty reasonable p- price to get some uh, some home broadband, does only give you sixty uh, gigabytes worth of data, but you can be up and running at the drop of a hat without needing a DSL or an ultra-fast broadband connection. Now, there are a couple of curious things about it. You are locked down to an address. So even though it uses a SIM card that that sits in a router, it's not designed for you to take it with you and use everywhere. Uh, I haven't tried it yet, so I don't know how hardcore they are about locking you down uh, on the location. Uh, because, of course, I'm sure some people would be tempted to take that SIM card that gives them 60 gigabytes worth of mobile data and shove it in their smartphone and uh, and have 60 yeah. gigs to play with out and about all around the, all around the country. Um, I imagine Spark's probably going to lock that down at some point, even if they haven't worked out quite how to do that initially. Uh, but this looks like a really cool concept. The downside... Uh, for me, when I went to test addresses, as just about every single address that I tested came up with, no, we can't provide service in that area uh, from you know varying Auckland CBD locations to uh, Mount Albert, West Auckland. Uh, tried my parents' home in Christchurch, and that one said they said they could offer uh, service. So it obviously doesn't cover their entire network just yet, even their entire 4G network. Uh, they're being a little bit picky in terms of where they're allowing that. Um, but can you see this being uh, being useful, Blair? Yeah, uh, full disclosure, uh, Vodafone's one of our clients as well. So, uh, um, But as, as a consumer, I think um, options are always good. But... Um, as, as a as a man who has three boys who are hungry internet users, the one thing that I don't want to have is um, any downtime with my connection. So um, if it's also sensitive to buildings and other obstacles as well as just um, location, it'd be a, a bit of a concern. I do see that they um, have a thirty day money back guarantee it seems and um yeah that's quite cool isn't it the other thing where i can see this being useful is where somebody's maybe waiting to get an ultra fast broadband or some other connection in place you do have to pay 200 dollars for the router uh but for those short-term situations that could uh could definitely uh fill a you know fill a gap if if nothing else and you know i can see some people would actually just find well 55 dollars a month for reasonably high speed uh, internet if they're not using a whole lot of data um, could be quite cool. All right. Um, now, Uber. We there's always stuff coming up around uh, Uber. In fact, I got an, an email from them today around some thirty percent price reduction that they're doing in not New Zealand, uh, in Las Vegas, uh, where I tend to travel to from time to time. It's a very curious business model, the way they sort of turn prices up and down and, and change things to attract new drivers or to attract new business. Uh, but the, the latest thing that we've heard about is that they're testing a new coloured light bar um, so that you don't get into the wrong vehicle. And I guess it would make it very obvious if you're waiting outside your office or a home or you're you know, somewhere really busy where lots of vehicles are, uh, if you could see this sort of you know bar of light uh, across the passenger door, 
that lines up with the the color that's showing on your phone so you definitely know that's your vehicle ready to jump into um, have either of you guys ever sort of had that uh, situation where you go to jump into an uber and you're not quite sure if it's the right one or you've or you've even been in the situation i actually i had this um with mauricio from geek zone i saw my uber outside uh it was a microsoft event and uh it sort of drove straight past me and i was trying to work out what was going on so you know i chased after it and then i saw there was somebody sitting in the passenger seat and uh so i pulled the i pulled the door open to figure out what's going on when he when he stops and there's uh, there's mauricio sitting in my passenger seat and uh so so uh so we had a bit of, a bit of yeah. discussion around it and uh yeah. yeah he'd just seen seen what he figured was his uber and jumped in and the uber driver had said you know oh we're heading to vector or wherever it was we were heading and uh, he said, "Yep, yep, that's right. That's where I want to head." And so, uh, so away they went. But uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I managed to get him out of the vehicle and uh, into his own one. But uh, for me, I can see that this uh, this could be useful, even though those situations are few and far between. At least it, you're very clear that it's it is an Uber and it is your Uber. Yeah, I've had an experience where I've, I've called an Uber for um, my grandmother-in-law and. Um, and it had arrived, and she was waiting at the front door, but um, they didn't connect, and uh, yes. there was only the one car in the car park, but uh, she she wasn't sure about it. She so to um, be really confident. To be able to say, look out for the pink windshield with the bright pink light would be a, a great indication for her which one she needs to jump into. Great point, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I normally look at the number plates, right? You normally try to remember the three uh, first letters or the three last letters um, of the taxi that's coming, and um, and that often does the trick. I've, I haven't been into a large event where, you know, a bunch of Ubers were called. So I don't know. I think, I think you know, maybe if you're late, you know, out and about late at night, Paul, you know, as you do in Ponsonby and SPQR, maybe then, uh, then there might be some issues. But... Um, I don't visit those frequent places. I, I can imagine um, quite an interesting um, light festival and uh, interactive uh, light show could be happening down there on the viaduct on a Friday night with everyone uh, <laughs> with their phones out, multicolored, waving down yeah, their particular Ubers. And yeah, the police would easily be able to spot you know who the who the legal Uber drivers are and follow <laughs> them around. And yeah, so some pros and cons of this. Yeah, okay, interesting. Well, I think it's it's mostly uh, mostly mostly good. Um, now, there's apparently been some um, a few issues around these uh, so-called hoverboard uh, devices. Have either of you guys ridden on one of these? It's a, for those that don't know, it's a it's like a sideways um, skateboard. Um, although there is one that's actually more like a skateboard, uh, but so, it's like a sideways skateboard with a wheel on each end. Uh, and basically, you stand on this thing, and uh, it moves forward when you lean forward, and you know back when you lean back, you can twist and turn it, and so on. Um, yeah, it's a sort of a, a small su- uh, scooter that is, uh, I guess, related to the Segway in many ways. So it uses gyroscopes and so on to to keep things uh, balanced. Uh, but without these the handlebars, eh? without the handlebars, yeah. So it's just that that base bit that you stand on, and. Uh, yeah, it looks looks quite uh, quite uh, a lot of fun to to uh, to ride for those who haven't uh, ridden. Well, I had a bit of. I first tried one of these back at CES about a year ago uh, in Las Vegas, and at that stage, the pricing of the the unit that I tried was quite expensive. So I didn't really click on to it being a a major product. But these things don't actually cost that much to manufacture. And so we've seen the prices come down, down, down. Where uh, you know you can get them in New Zealand for what five, six hundred dollars is the starting uh, point. But we're hearing there's already some issues uh, uh, brewing, and in the in the US uh, there's some litigation you know going on, uh, trademark wise and 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 so on to uh, to block all these varying products. So only one manufacturer uh, is is. Um, wanting to control the space which is kind of curious and then we're hearing also about some really low cost ones uh that maybe just don't don't work properly so there might be some risks if you see somebody advertising some of these things cheap online uh they mm-hmm. you could be getting what you what you pay for yeah i mean 
there was a you know story about a teenager in Australia making you know three thousand dollars a day by selling these online, and you know it's a million dollar business right there. So there are certainly a lot of them out there, and um, the the manufacturer who holds the license has a history of um, you know getting the patent and then sh- shutting down. Um, all the other competitors. But I don't know if that's worked in the past. You know, uh, the previous case was the the Push scooter. Um, they sued sixteen, you know, different brands, and and I guess it will help them a little bit. But not sure if it's going to stick um, uh, with this one. There's so many ways to get it. You just you know pop down to your local store, especially in the states where they, you can get them anywhere. It's, it's pretty hard to crack down on the, on, on that. So it's um. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna really uh, get a lot of money out of this one by pushing it. Certainly not for the consumers. It's just gonna drive up the price. So, yeah, I mean, certainly it's a new world in terms of being able to block sales of products when there are so many manufacturers and it's so easy to jump onto varying websites from varying parts of the world and just have it shipped direct to you from you know maybe a country that isn't so interested in uh, trademark. Uh, you know, IP protection. Yeah. You, what do you think of these, Blair? Um, they look very interesting. I definitely won't be uh, going out and grabbing one this, this Christmas for myself or, or the boys. But um, no, I, I think that um, the patent wars in America are an, an interesting one to watch and um, the litigation that goes around it. Um, I, I kind of feel if they put that much energy into the marketing that it might do them better but yeah, uh, yeah. maybe that's just <laughs> good, my advertising good side call. good mm. call um, so there's not uh, so FCB doesn't have uh, some of these it's the sort of thing I just imagine uh, and I haven't haven't been into uh, FCB's premises but it's the sort of thing I imagine you know you walk in there and uh, a little bit like being in a tech startup and uh, so on that there's you know people sort of you know racing past you down the hallway sort of on, on these things and so on Oh, we're a very, very hip business, but uh, not quite uh, this, the Facebook image that you might have as a tech startup or, or a <laughs> larger corporate like that. No, um, being on multiple floors, it'd be quite interesting seeing the elevators open and someone scooter out on on one, one of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they never had any of this technology when I worked in that agency uh, land some, some years ago. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Just well, one of the creative agencies that uh, Guerrilla Technology works with, they had uh, one of the electric skateboards. Um, and yeah, with a little, uh, I think it was yeah, a little remote control, so they could control it, and they'd be racing off down the street and so on. And that w- that was very cool. So uh, yeah, so I thought I thought maybe you guys would be that cool. But, oh, uh, oh um, I'll have to bring it up at the Christmas party. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a must have. Once you get one, I'll definitely come for a visit. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now submarine cables to link New Zealand up to the rest of the world of internet. There's been ongoing uh, debate and and discussion around New Zealand's connectivity to the rest of the world and the fact that we're very, well, we're we're virtually entirely reliant on the Southern uh, Cross uh, cable connections to the rest of the world for our internet. And if for whatever reason that those those connections, which operate in sort of figure eight, so they're, you know, if one of them gets sort of caught in a ship's anchor, we should be okay. Uh, but if for some reason that uh, you know, those two connections linking up to New Zealand were to break or be sabotaged, etc., uh, we'd be we'd be in a spot of bother. And there's also been the discussions around competition. So it's nice to know that uh, there is going to be, and this is, I mean, we've heard many stories of new submarine, um, you know, underwater uh, cables that are going to link New Zealand up to the rest of the world. Uh, but apparently there is a, a signed order uh, now, and this new connection will be going ahead. Um, Kevin, have you f- followed this this side of things very closely? I, th- you know, I think yeah. uh, Vodafone have been working away with uh, with Spark and Telstra on a link to hook right. New Zealand up to uh, to Australia. I haven't heard anything from. Uh, uh, on that project for a while, but this one links New Zealand up to Hawaii, and of course, there's lots of connections from Hawaii onto the the rest of the US and so on too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where I probably disclose that, you know, opinions are mine and not of Vodafone's. I've only been there for three months, which is probably a good thing for podcast listeners. Uh, I think it's great. I think that, you know, uh, something straight to uh, Hawaii and the U.S. Um, will only make things um, uh, faster for, you know, the ITICT sector and, and you know, hopefully drive down prices and, and competition for consumers. Um, and, yeah, the other cable discussion is um, uh, with Australia, um, going to Australia. And so it's good to see that there is going to be um, a bit of increased reliability and, and less dependence. Um, so, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, this one was a bit of a surprise to me. Blair, were you expecting any sort of announcements like this? This one seemed to come out of the blue. No, I remember back when the Pacific Fibre Cable um, looked like it was going to be promising um, back in, what was that, 2012, I think, and then it uh, fell through. Um, had, had sort of uh, forgotten about it, really, but like to have the backup of a second cable like this and the redundancy of it going to a different location, I think, is really important, uh, especially in, with New Zealand and our fault lines and natural um, disasters, potentially. Um, having two cables going to two different locations is, is really important um, for the future of our tech economy as a security. So really pleased to see this coming. And is it 2018 that um, they said it's well, going to be Well, they're saying 2018. And uh, I guess the, the challenge at this stage is there's not, there's not a huge amount uh, known about it. We heard about it uh, with an announcement from Alcatel-Lucent. Uh, they've apparently got a signed contract with Blue Sky um, Pacific um, Group uh, who do have various sort of a- activities, I guess, in the Asia Pacific uh, region? But yeah, there's there's not a mass amount of detail about it yet. So th- there's that potential that, like the other ones we've we've heard of, uh, that it doesn't go ahead too, right? Mm. Mm. It's a four hundred million dollar project. That's so, a it's a yeah. little little uh, well, it's more than a little bit of money, isn't it? In the mm. <laughs> in the scheme of things, for most of us, so, uh, yeah. Um, now, something we don't often sort of dive in to talk about cameras, but there was just a, an interesting little snippet that came through from uh, Panasonic who offer the uh, Lumix cameras. And Blair, I thought you might be able to you know, comment on this. What they've said is for there's a number of their, uh, their cameras that are offering what they're calling a post-focus uh, feature uh, through a through a software update within the, the camera to, or firmware update um, that will basically allow people to sort of shoot um, you know what what they what they what they want uh, without having to worry about focusing and then they can do the focus later and of course there there have been some cameras specifically designed around this but you know they're taking what is a um, uh, well, some some pretty cool high end cameras, but adding this functionality later that was a bit of a surprise. Um, is this? Is it? Do you think this is going to be good, and will it work, or is it? Is it such science that it's going to make the pictures look um, look below average? I think there'll be certain circumstances that it will work really well, and then um, it's just going to be a matter of knowing what they are. Um, so my understanding of it, it's actually taking a four K video. Um, and that turns into an 8 megapixel image, so a much smaller image than a normal still image, but still very usable. And by shooting the video, it's going to be taking multiple exposures and um, the depth of... But with those multiple exposures, it will pull them together yep. and that will give you the focus throughout your whole image. So mm-hmm. things like macro photography, which is very hard to have the focus throughout the whole image it'll it'll stack multiple frames and then you'll be able to choose in post-process where you want the focus so a really interesting approach to it um because the lightro is is, that's the camera that's the one that we know for in the past isn't it but that uses some that that's using a completely different sensor but what's quite interesting about this is that it's also from a firmware update so having an existing product with a firmware update, which is actually a significant um, update for this this camera and those owners. So if you've got a GX8, G7, or F, 
um, 2,300, then um, there's no harm in updating and uh, giving it a go and seeing what the results are like. Right. So yeah. what, what I've read about it is that the way they do it, and you're right in terms of that reference to shooting you know, uh, video, so it's shooting 4K video but um, at 30 frames per second, but what it does is every one of those 30 frames focuses on a different part of the image, so it picks 30 points to focus on, and then it's just, you know, basically, you know, you choose where you want to focus, but it's not actually going and doing that afterwards. It's it's actually captured all of these different focal points in the video in the video frame, which is incredible. Yeah, usually mm. that would be a manual process, and then you'd use mm. something like Photoshop to do the same thing. But what this is meaning is that you don't have to have all the equipment that goes with setting up that type of shoot. Mm. So this is all in the camera with one click, and I think that's the really key part. Yeah, sounds cool. Do you do any photography, Kevin? Oh, I, you know, I used to play around a little bit, like, you know, everyone goes through that, you know, phase, and there was nothing worse than thinking um, that you've taken a great photo to realize that it wasn't that great when you blow it up. And and so this is going to be uh, pretty massive. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes you want to take a photo very quickly. You don't want to miss the moment. Um, you know, so maybe that's more for the iPhone or your camera phone, but this also would be able to do that and it's probably a you know a really good um camera to have uh if you're uh, looking at producing quality photos but don't really want to do that on the phone it's probably a pretty good um family camera to have yeah i mean there's i think there's some all sorts of possibilities here of course the thing to think about is what often starts at a professional level can come through to over time into our smartphones and you know into our general devices so although this at the moment is a pretty high-end technology and you know it's usually relates to a reasonably high-end phone such as the 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 gx8 uh, from lumix um, we in a few years may see this just becoming a, a standard capability that everyone's got access to through their through their smartphone um, as you know processing capabilities and all the other uh, bits of, bits and pieces improve so no guarantee of that but uh, you can imagine that it, it could well be possible right yeah the the um, com- the computational photography that's sort of exploding right now is amazing um, with mobile phones um, the frame rate that you can get for video and um, just the power of processing it directly on your phone and um, being able to distribute it so quickly. It's a, it's a really fast-growing area. And um, I think the hard part about this is um, going to actually be where where do you want that focus to be? And um, and that becomes that choice of do you want to just take the photo and, and upload it or are you actually going to work with it afterwards? But at least you've got that choice. Mm, mm. Oh, that's, uh, that's very cool. Now... There was uh, a bit of a security issue that has uh, has come come to light over the last uh, last twenty four hours that's got picked up by media around the world, um, and this relates to a company uh, I think they're from Hong Kong called uh, VTech. Um, Kevin, you've had a little bit of a, a look into this. Um, tell us what you know about uh, about this company and why this isn't sort of our everyday run-of-the-mill sort of hacking story. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of devices now have um, uh, connections to Internet, you know, the whole Internet of Things um, story. And this uh, VTech company is actually a, a child toy company and, um, you know, millions of users worldwide, um, mostly based in the U.S. and in some areas of Europe, um, the interesting thing is, yeah, it got hacked, and, and I think it's it's over five million devices was uh, were hacked, and and it and in that data there was uh, uh, the name of the parents, the the mailing addresses, um, the you know children's names, and and all sorts of that, which which you don't normally tie together. No, um, creating that kind of uh, device, and so you know this is one sure way to really. Um, you know, bring to surface the fears that everyone has around you know uh, cybersecurity and what you know how important security is uh, in the Internet of Things. It's something uh, you know Vodafone is certainly spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to make it safe. 
Yeah, I mean, they said that um, personal information of more than 6 million children was compromised, uh, and this happened through uh, VTEX Learning Lodge App Store, which provides uh, content for uh, tablets for um, you know, for kids to to use. And yeah, it is quite worrying that this sort of personal information would get out there and be accessible. And yeah, I think you know, when you look at the sort of information that 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 was there, you know, birth dates, the child's name, um, email addresses, and US things like uh, you know. Um, social security numbers and other bits and pieces that might have been in there it's uh yeah it's it's rather a worrying uh, a worrying situation and i think you know often we, you know we come across some technology and it sounds really good but we don't often have an easy way of being able to judge whether that company is Treating security appropriate, security appropriately. Um, I came across some, t- uh, or some of my team came across some technology today, uh, with in a customer environment. New customer, they just invested a lot of money in some technology, uh, but the security of this technology was so rudimentary, uh, and yet this would be the the, the biggest investment for this particular organisation in technology was this. Uh, um, uh, yeah, a particular mix of hardware and software and so on working together um, but being from a smaller vendor they hadn't really dealt with some of the uh, what we we would tend to call basics of security and of course the customer didn't know until after they purchased the technology and the customer um, you know, may never really fully understand it unless something goes wrong uh, and I guess very similar right. in, in, in the consumer world as well right that um, Often decisions are made without information, and you've got to ask, well, how how could these parents have, have known, right? You, yeah. you you probably you probably couldn't make much of a good judgment in most cases on such matters. Yeah, I think a lot of times um, it's it's not something that's thought thought through. Um, a lot of times, terms and conditions even are quickly swiped through, and and um, and connecting to the site or service is is um you've got to weigh up the value versus the potential risks and i I definitely agree that it's something that a lot of people aren't even contemplating but i think that um this will be a bit of a shocking story to a lot of people because um when it comes to your children i think that you definitely do take a lot more um caution and and security that you might not otherwise take for yourself and you really will Reevaluate it. So, be interesting to see what comes from this. Mm, there's, I mean, the, some of the coverage I've read online. There's a lot of concern now uh, around identity theft because of the amount of information that was stolen, and this would allow people to, uh, you know, potentially impersonate some of these people who, you know, right now are just children. Yeah. Yeah, I do wonder if um, any New Zealand parents were affected by because it, it looks like there's eighteen thousand Australian. Um, parents and children that were affected by it, so it might be closer to home than we thought. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really somewhat somewhat worrying. Um, from what I can tell, you can buy their their products on online locally. Uh, there's yeah, quite a number of retailers that list uh, VTech products, um, and yeah, it's um, it's it's not an ideal situation. Um, there's even, and I don't know if this is the same company. Um, there's even a, a portable uh, handset that Spark list on their uh, uh, website, like a cordless uh, cordless phone. Um, I wouldn't imagine that would be tied in, um, but I just thought that was <laughs> that was curious. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it looks like they do all sorts of stuff. But yeah, there are places like Toy World and. Uh, uh, Mighty Ape and uh, and and Fish Pond mm. that are uh, listed, uh, and I see Atlas GenTech, who's a distributor in New Zealand, uh, look as though they might uh, they might be the distributor for uh, some VTech products, although these look more like telecommunications products. So they may that may even be a completely different company, uh, may not be mm. be be related at all. Um, the good thing is that you know these as with the Lumix camera, you know these things can 
often be solved by a, an update and a, a cleaning of uh, data and an anonymizing it behind the scenes. So it shouldn't be a, um, well, a hard fix. And Well, it depends it, if somebody's stolen your identity. Well, that's right. That gets a bit harder to fix. (laughs) (laughs) And then how many of these cases are there out there? You know, it's uh, that, you know, that doesn't surface. Yeah, we may not hear about all of them, right? Mm. Mm. All right. Well, um, Kevin, I want I'm quite keen to hear a little bit more about uh, Vodafone Zone. So this was the announcement uh, yesterday um, that the um, thanks to the Vodafone team for uh, uh, winging me down to uh, to Christchurch to to get a little bit of a look, but I thought better to hear it from uh, from the horse's mouth, as it were, rather than uh, uh, me telling the story. So maybe you can just share with listeners what Vodafone is doing, what is this zone uh, concept, and why it's spelt instead of Z O N E, why it's spelt X O N E. Uh, yeah, the, f- f- fill us in. What what are the highlights? When yeah. you know what what is this place? When does it open? Yeah, it's it's very exciting. It's something that you know sits outside of the of Vodafone's core business. Um, it's a, a corporate accelerator, and then what that is is a, a program that invests in startups and nurtures them so that they can use the resources of Vodafone to uh, grow their business um, and you know what kind of resources are there you know there's $25,000 in cash uh, a space uh, in our brand new South Island headquarters um, all the marketing and resources and uh, people within the business that can help with say product development and maybe even security to make sure that everything is tight before it goes to market good call um, yep and 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 that is locally, but also we're one of now seven zones around the world. And so, you know, through that kind of innovation link, we can introduce um, uh, New Zealand startups and businesses throughout um, all the other centers that we operate. And so overall, 400 million customers internationally. So um, for a wee little company, that's a great opportunity to become the next zero or the next vend and things like that very quickly. And attach cool. to that so, program. So, how, just how many? Uh, you know, how big is that opportunity? How many uh, startups will be able to, um, uh, you know, be involved as part of the the accelerator uh, program when you launch that? Yeah. So, yeah, applications are open now, and uh, we'll be looking to work with approximately ten startups um, through uh, next year. Um, that I think is a is a good number to. Uh, work with and, and provide the support they need. Um, and the next year we'll probably do, you know, around the same. Um, but in parallel, you know, we'll open up um, a lab that is attached to the zone, um, an Internet of Things and M2M lab to the public who are developing new solutions so they can iterate their product very quickly. What, and what's M2M for those that don't know? Machine to machine, so um, no human interaction or communication involved between uh, uh, metal pieces. And what are, what are some common examples of things that people would know of that uh, do machine to machine communications? Yeah. Would that would that be your uh, uh, parking meter on the side of the the, um, yeah. the the street that has a SIM card in it? Yeah, and and something even closer to home is um, that many New Zealanders probably don't realise is their power meters. They have, uh, and you know, they're connected to the internet, and 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 hence the smart meter name. Um, and New Zealand's a leader in that. So uh, things like that you don't even realise really, and that's the whole point. It automates it and makes it simpler, so you can focus on the things that you want. Cool. So you'll uh, you'll be helping people with uh, testing and developing that stuff. Uh, that's great. So people have got what through to is it? It's mid February when you're taking um, taking applications, and the program program kicks off uh, May 2016. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So February 15th is the close off date. Um, you know, applications are open now, and through that, we will meet with uh, as many entrepreneurs as we can, and and hopefully uh, uh, by February March, we will have invited the top ten to join our program and officially begin in May. Very cool, very cool. Um, and are there any particular types of tech startups that would uh, you know more have have a better chance? Is there any sort of particular tips you can give people about applying? 
Yeah, I think that you know we are looking for you know smart teams. We're we're backing the jockey, not the horse, as they say. So um, people that have a, a good, solid understanding in this space and wanting to try something new. Um, some industries or segments that we're really interested in uh, include you know smart homes and smart cities. Uh, that maybe, as as Paul said, you know clever ways to uh, manage parking meters, all the way to um, you know, uh, it could be bus shelters with uh, awesome internet connection so people can um, have access to the internet. Um, mobile health is a big one, and if you have a, a big data algorithm play a startup, you know, we're interested in that too. Uh, so to summarize that, it's really things that take advantage of uh, bandwidth and connectivity to the Vodafone network. Right, that's that's where the focus is going to be. Cool, that's really good. And the sort of the benefit for those that get involved, I've seen it mentioned that you know the sort of value of what they're going to get out of it. It's not just that twenty five thousand dollars cash, but they're going to get access to all sorts of resources through your network. You've got varying uh, partners like HPE uh, that that are involved. Um, right. So. I think the figure I saw mentioned was a hundred and fifty thousand. Is what you're sort of estimating will be the the benefit to uh, to those that mm. jump on board. Yeah, and and it could be much more than that. You know, our legal team said you can't you know uh, go out there with a too big number, but you know it could be much bigger. And that um, the valuation of these startups, if a partnership goes well, could you know jump from sub million to. Uh, to over three five million in the next twelve to eighteen months, so the value to the the entrepreneurs could be uh, mu- could be much more than that on paper <laughs> very cool very cool and what's what 's your role? Why are you involved in this thing because you weren 't at Vodafone a few months ago now you are why Why have you uh, been convinced you should be a part of this thing and you 've moved yourself south uh, to Christchurch yeah, yeah, so I was at um, the ice house um, incubator up for the last three years, you know, working with um, probably over a hundred startups, and and uh, I just saw the challenges they, they face, and it's really hard to uh, scale your business internationally. And so I was pondering about how these startups can succeed faster and bigger. Um, and you know, a few thoughts came into my mind. One of them was, you know, maybe corporates should be able to deal with startups better. They're always slow, and they often. Yeah. Uh, you know, expect ridiculous things from startups, but then the you know next layer is what about a you know a corporate that is massive here, but also globally, so it saves the next step. And um, and hence I'm with Photofone now trying to make that uh, um, you know thought or dream come true and see if we can help the startup community. Cool. Well, best of luck with that. Uh, we will look forward to um, hearing a little bit more and uh, finding out who those startups are. Um, once you make your selections, and of course there are other options for people, you know, around the country in terms of um, accelerators and uh, incubators and so on. Um, so, you know, if you are in that position, you've got some great ideas and you're ready, ready to get going. Uh, have a look at this one. Have a look around at what your other options are. Uh, but certainly for those that are, uh, you know, focused on things that are going to, you know, maybe you know, heavily leverage a mobile network and and so on, then I mean, this sounds really good and looks like uh, Vodafone's being. Uh, rather generous in terms of what you're putting on the table, so uh, I, I think that you're going to have no problems getting uh, getting your ten applications in there, Kevin. Um, I'm, I imagine it's going to be uh, it's going to be a challenge, sort of working through and actually uh, um, picking those, right? Yeah, I mean that's the that's the fun part and the hard part. You know, the ideas that look you know really crazy. Uh, and the ideas that look really obvious somewhere in between is the magic so we don't know what we're gonna um gonna get but we're really excited to see you know all those great ideas hidden in sheds and garages of of kiwis as they are so yeah we're very excited nice well that's good i think that wraps us up for this week so uh thank you both very much now um blair where do we track you down online people wanting to get in, in touch with you what's the what's the best way to do that I'm on Twitter at Blair Walker. Uh, you can find me there. You're on LinkedIn and so on as well, no doubt. Yeah, um, details are there as well from my own website and um, LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, excellent. And Kevin, yeah, probably easy to connect me. Connect with me on Twitter, uh, Kevin Park nine zero. 
nine zero. Is that is that relation to your age, <laughs> your birth year? <laughs> oh yeah, I thought about changing it. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, such a youngster. Many many years. Many yeah. many years. Yeah. It used to be Kevin Park AK, but now I'm in Christchurch, so I had to. Revert you back. had to change it. Okay. Okay. Oh, very cool. Hey, well, thanks. Uh, thanks both very much. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Uh, we do have one more episode. We're uh, hoping to put out another episode uh, next week. And there's a small possibility there might be another one after that. Uh, the following week I will be in Christchurch. So uh, depending on, on uh, scheduling and so on, we may get, uh, we may get one more uh, episode. Uh, of course, you can find out about all our varying podcasts online at podcasts.co.nz. Now, if there are any listeners out there that are curious about whether they should get into podcasting, uh, then we have some great news for you. The Asia-Pacific Podcasting Conference is coming to Auckland February 12th and 13th. Uh, You can find out details about that at apacpodcasts.com, A-P-A-C-podcasts.com. Uh, we have this is being sort of hosted and, and run uh, by the podcast New Zealand team, and we have uh, who we believe to be the top podcasting coach in the world. Uh, Cliff Ravenscraft is coming down from the US. Uh, a bunch of other speakers who'll be sort of talking right across the gamut of podcasting, uh, and you know from a broadcast perspective and a uh, just an independent individual's perspective who maybe is keen to get into podcasting. For those that are already podcasting, uh, there'll be there'll be lots to fill in the gaps there as well. So, uh, encourage everyone who has any sort of a, an inkling that they might like to produce a podcast uh, to go and check out apacpodcast.com and uh, get yourself signed up. We don't have a huge amount of space. Uh, we're trying to keep this as a pretty small, uh, intimate event, so definitely worth getting in uh, quickly. And we have some uh, early bird tickets that are available uh, just through until 15th of December, so now's the time to, uh, to get in and get registered. All right, that's us for this week. Thanks, everyone. Catch you next week. Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.